Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of School Nutrition Dietitian. This week, we have Marlisa on the show again. Marlisa joined us a while back to talk about managing diabetes, and she'll be returning again later to speak with us about celiac disease. But today, she is here to talk about working as a dietitian through coronavirus. Marlisa is living in the New York, New Jersey area, and as we all know, that area of the country, because it's so densely populated, has been hit really hard by COVID-19. So Marlisa has been hearing from her clients concerns that the rest of the country is having as well about the quarantine 15, about having trouble managing their health conditions because of interruptions in supply, interruptions in the supply chain, and problems with access to health care, problems with accessing public transportation and feeling safe. There's a lot that is interrupted right now, and I thought it would be good to hear from someone who's working directly with clients in an area that is in the thick of it so that the rest of us can hear how She's recommending that they navigate that and pick up some tips in case we, our loved ones, or the parents that we serve are starting to confront some of the same issues. All right, let's get started. School nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Thank you so much for joining me again. Oh, thank you for having me. I I love being on your show. I appreciate it. There's just so much going on right now. A lot of what I've been hearing from people is distress over the quarantine 15 and just a lot of worry around how to eat consistently when you can't maintain your routine because you go to the store, the items that you wanted are not all there. Or you aren't going to the store at all and you're ordering things and the Instacart person can't find all the things that you want. There are just a lot of different things that are interrupting people's regular routine. Have you had clients or people coming to you talking about how hard it is to feed themselves well during COVID? So there's like a multi-level of different problems that are coming out because of this that I've been finding when I've been talking to people, you know, remotely and socially distanced, of course. And one, one is, you know, some individuals are having no work in their home and they're stuck in the house with children, spouse, you know, not getting out at all and feeling um, like their whole life plan is disrupted. So they're the way that they spend their day, what time they go to bed, what time they wake up in the morning, if they try to get something done, the interruptions from other people being on top of them, and then the difficulties about trying to get safe food in the house. So that's one scenario. And when I say get safe food in the house, what that means is, you know, even though there are restaurants delivering, some people don't feel comfortable with the delivery services. They're worried about the boxes. They're worried about the person that's putting it in the car, that's bringing it to them. And so like, let's say I was living with an older parent, 
you know, I might be okay, like say, you know what, I'm fine with the box, you know, I'll just spray it with Lysol or something. But if I had somebody living in the house with me that was 80 years old with diabetes and heart disease, I might be freaking out, like even about taking my mail out of my mailbox. So getting things from the Mm. outside might even be a worry for me. Then you have individuals that have to work out of their house now, and their house may not necessarily be a workstation. And so they're normally, let's say they get up at, let's say five o'clock in the morning to take the train to go into work, you know, to get to work, they get to work, they get their coffee, they get their breakfast. You know, there's a whole routine involved around what their day is. Now their day is in the house they may not be getting up exactly the same time. They might be in their pajamas when they're actually going to do their work on their computer. They may not actually go and get the breakfast where at work, like you might get up and go and get something out of the lunchroom and bring it back to your desk. If you're at home or on a conference call and people are watching you and things at all times, you may not feel comfortable to get up, take a moment and go and get something because you can't because you're on a continuous call. So these are some of the barriers coupled with financial concerns, coupled with emotional concerns. So the fear involved. So we have layer upon layer. And so what I've been dealing with with my patients is trying to isolate the biggest problems that's happening with them, whether it has to be with the availability of food or not knowing how to prepare food or not being able to skip on a schedule, stay on a schedule, or how to deal with the multitude of um, different distractions, daily distractions that are happening. So we can hit on any one of those items and, and, and talk about them in depth, or we can do little bits on each piece on what I've been telling my patients. Let's focus on the availability of food. And then you also mentioned not knowing how to prepare food. Is that okay. more people who typically rely on restaurant for meals or who's having that issue? So they're, they're like actually coupled together because even if you know how to prepare food, if the availability isn't there is a problem. So yes, they're both big problems. So let's talk first about availability. And given the fact that there is a lot of social media to people right now, I have found by having open discussions with people that you know that are in the similar areas, you can find out where to get things or how to get things in different ways. So Talking to some of my patients, I would identify this place has paper towels and this place has toilet paper and this place delivers and this place has meat or eggs or cheese. And so first I would, I would encourage people to converse either with social media groups or with individuals they know in their community and say, hey, listen, I was able to find this. Were you able to find that? How did you get this? I don't like to go to the store. Is there a store that you know of where people are not on top of each other? Because even though we have the rules that you're supposed to be socially distanced in certain establishments, the store itself and the community itself has been more careful about how to do the social distancing. So for example, I might go to a normal um, regular grocery store in my area and they may not have done anything to make it so that it would enforce or push people to be more careful about what they're doing. Where another store might only let six or seven people in at a time. They may have the Purell up by the front when you first come in. They might have a garbage can where you could dispose of gloves or whatever have you as you want to change up when you're coming in and out. They may only be allowing a certain amount of people in the store at a time. Now, if I don't want to go out of my house and I'm afraid and I'm going to do one time an excursion to try to get a couple of things, I'd like to know the safest place to go and the, and the place that might have the most choices of what I need. And so discussion 
with individuals in your community, whether it's personals or people through a network, some sort of a Facebook or um, Instagram or any kind of a social media network or Twitter, you might be able to identify things that make it a safer shopping or safer delivery experience. So for example, some places that are delivering food are doing it like you could see it. It's like a professional, the person comes, they seem to have the gloves, the gloves, the mask on, they're coming in a, um, a secure vehicle. Other people are thrown at the back of their station wagon and they're not necessarily as careful. I don't want to get food from a delivery service that's going to do that. I might not know which place would be the safest unless I asked other people. So that's the first piece I would, I would entertain discussion with um, my individuals that I talk to. The second piece is, you know, are you going to eat food exactly the same way that you would before? So, you know, you may be somebody that likes particular foods in your house, but right now you might need to use other types of food because that's available. So let's say, let's say I use beans. Okay. Beans is a protein, a carb, you know, a balanced kind of a food. Let's say I like to use beans and I buy canned beans and I never bought dry beans before. Well, one bag of dry beans happens to be, I noticed in all the stores that the bags of the dry beans are still there. They're not out. And, you know, I may never have made beans before. So I look at this bag and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do with that. But like one bag of dried beans might make 10, 12 cans of beans. So just because I don't know how to make something, you could easily find out online that in order to do something quick and easy, I mean, I might tell you how to do it, but I'm saying in order to do something quick and easy, the information is on the computer or on your phone. You can Google it. How do I cook dried chickpeas? Oh yeah, you just soak the beans, dump the water, boil it, let it sit overnight, dump, put fresh water and then boil them until they're cooked. Oh, I could do that. Or how do I make vegetables? I usually buy frozen in the supermarket. There seems to be fresh vegetables in most of the stores. Um, And they're usually right now, it seems to be covered with plastic. They don't have them where people can just touch them as much anymore. When this first started, I noticed that like the lettuce and the broccoli and everything was still like where anybody could touch it. And I noticed now in most of the stores, they're like in plastic containers where people, you know, aren't going to be able to handle it. So hey, you know what? What do I do with um, fresh broccoli? I never did that before. You know, I usually buy frozen. So if I'm talking to a person, I might say the simplest way is, you know, remove the part of the vegetable that's the hardest part, the hard part of it first. Like, Like either peel off the stem or break off the end or cut off the end. And then you could just rinse it, you know, and then put it in a microwave safe container and put a little tiny bit of olive oil, maybe a little garlic, onion, or a dash of salt or pepper, cover it with plastic and just nuke it in the microwave for like eight minutes. You'll have a vegetable. So there's like things that people don't normally do. And you would think, yeah, everybody knows how to make broccoli. But the truth of the matter is, you know, a lot of people don't know how to even cook a chicken. And so, you know, I have to encourage them the simplicity of it and the resources on where they can do that so that they could say, hey, listen, I understand you're only able to buy this one type of food. Well, here's a way to repackage that same food five different ways. So if, for example, you did make chicken, let's say I taught you how to make a chicken or you knew how to make chicken, you don't eat the same chicken every day in a row. Like Monday, maybe we would have the chicken with a, a potato and a um, salad. And then maybe Tuesday, we'd break up the chicken and put it in a salad. And then maybe Wednesday, we'd stuff it in a pepper with some rice and put a little tomato sauce and bake it. So I would try to find out what foods they found available and easy ways that they can use it so that they don't get totally bored and totally disgusted with their eating. There are a lot of people expressing (laughs) how much of a challenge it has been to get anything done with their children in the house all day long. 
And like you said, working from home is different than working in an office. I thought initially that working at home would have felt like more freedom and I'd have more time to take walk breaks. But what it really looked like was working 12 hours a day and never moving. Yes. And I've gone back to the office and there's so much more movement in the day. It's, it's amazing how detached from reality I was about what working at home could end up looking like for me. And that was with no kids at home to make food prep difficult. If you were dealing with the challenge of not knowing how to make things because you didn't really cook that much before and feeling like you can't get any time in the kitchen. What are some quick solutions to that? Or how would you even recommend someone work around that? And, you know, it's a great thing that you brought up, by the way, because, I mean, I'm seeing half the amount of people virtually. And sometimes it feels like my legs have um, weights um, tied to them by the way I'm sitting behind my desk at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. So, yes, these are things I've told people that have been very helpful. So the first thing to do is to try to make it a plan to sit stick on some sort of a schedule with the timing on your waking, your sleeping, and your eating. So in other words, even if you have to set your 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 phone to let you know, okay, time to eat something now, um, so that this way you don't go hours and hours and hours and then go into the refrigerator and just grab like a whole package of whatever and stuff it in your mouth because you're so hungry. So some sort of a schedule. The day before your work day, okay, plan out what you're going to have for your snacks and what you might be having for your meals ahead of time. So like even if it's something simple, like, so let's say I was going to have a cup of cereal for breakfast tomorrow. And I was thinking I'll have some almonds with a piece of fruit for a snack. And then I'll have a light yogurt for another snack. And maybe I'll have a turkey sandwich um, for lunch. And then for dinner, I was going to have, I don't know, even if it was pizza, let's say frozen pizza. Okay. Let's, that's what I was going to have. Then, then that's what I'm going to do. So let's make sure that I lay it out so that it's such a way so that I even like make a note to myself. Don't forget, you know, like 10 o'clock set your phone to go and get your almonds with your piece of fruit um, or fruit in your own juice So what, or um, a, a piece of um, skim mozzarella, something that is simple to eat. Like you can get fruit in its own juice. You can get jello. You can make pudding. You could have, um, you could make muffins. Muffins are easy to make or to buy frozen muffins. There's a million things. They could do mini rice cakes. I can do um, peanut, half a peanut butter sandwich with a glass of milk. There's a million little things that you could have that you could utilize for a snack. Make sure you have them. Make sure you have them at a specific time. Force yourself to do it. It takes a while to get into a habit. If you do it, you'll have more energy. You'll be able to focus more clearly. You'll be able to be more effective with your work. And therefore, you won't have to work as much if you're more effective when you're doing it. If you don't, like if I usually go to bed at, let's say, 1130, and now because I'm home for some reason, and I don't have to get up to go in, for some reason, I'm sitting up until two o'clock in the morning watching some stupid movie that I might have even seen five or six times, record it, go to bed. You know, like try to do everything scheduled, try to do everything simple, try to do everything planned ahead. If you find that you can't get certain types of food, So let's say, for example, you usually had a cup of cereal in the morning. We said cereal before you had eggs in the morning and you can't get that right now. Then try to like segue over, like pivot to the left and do something a little different. So if I can't get regular milk, maybe I can buy a box of rice milk or almond milk, even though in the refrigerator case, they might've been out of the rice milk and the almond milk. Sometimes on um, the aisle where they have the dried milk powder, there's dried milk powder, there's rice milk powder, there's almond um, milk in um, shelf-stable containers. So like 
change up a little bit if you can't get what you're used to getting and get your hands on it. Order ahead of time. Don't wait until the last minute to say, you know what, I need to get some whatever it is, you know, even if it's pasta or, or rice or um, if you want ordering meat or if you're picking it up, don't wait until the day you need it. Try to buy it like, you know, order it at least a week or two in advance So if you're ordering it. So this way you have a chance of getting it. I mean, I ordered my paper goods like a month ago and I just got them today. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I have plenty right now. And my husband would make fun of me. And before he would have made fun of me, now he's not making fun of me anymore. He said, <laughs> you know, you already got like 35 rolls of toilet paper. What do you need toilet paper for? But the thing is, is now he's not going to say that because we don't know when we're going to get paper towels again, or we don't know when we're going to get chicken again. So when I go to buy something and, and let's say I wasn't going for chicken or I wasn't going to order chicken, I was, let's say, going to order beef and I see the chicken is available order the chicken and order enough for like a couple of weeks worth of chicken and then freeze it if you have the ability. That's, those are some of the things that help and separate it. Like if you buy something in bulk, don't just throw it in the freezer. Otherwise you're going to have to take out a cleaver and break it up into smaller pieces Mm. when you're ready to use it. Oh, that's a really good reminder. Have people been having success with preparing meals in advance that they can freeze? So it depends on what you're doing. Like certain things don't freeze well and certain things do. And so that's something I've been helping people with. Like certain things that are really easy to freeze would be things like stews. And stews, the good thing about stews, even though it's getting warmer out now, stews, you can put anything that you actually have left over in the house in it. Mm. So if I had leftover chicken, if I had leftover beef, if I had leftover beans, if I had all kinds of vegetables, I can put that all in a stew. And when you cook that up, you can separate it in containers and easily freeze it. When it comes to plain things, like if you were just going to make a meat or a vegetable, you really need to know um, how to freeze it or what to freeze it with so that this way it doesn't come out of the you know, the freezer like with like that watery kind of a thing to it. Um, sauces freeze really well, any kind of sauces. So if you want to make, let's say, tomato sauce or different types of sauces that you might like and freeze them, uh, even if it was like a cheese sauce, not that I'm recommending that as the healthiest choice, you can freeze those in containers and small containers and take them out. You could even freeze things in ice cube trays. Like, so for example, let's say I only use a little bit of tomato sauce when I make something and I, I you know, I, I don't want to have to open up a whole thing just to have a little bit of tomato sauce to throw it in with my chicken to make chicken and broccoli with, let's say, a little bit of tomato. I could freeze the tomato sauce or things in ice cube trays and then put it in a Ziploc freezer bag to throw into something when I want to make it taste better, you know, to give it a little bit more flavor. Oh, that's a great idea. Now, when it comes to trying to get the kids to do something in the kitchen, what are some easy things that a child could help with? So, I mean, obviously we don't want to give them the knives, but, you know, just you know, off the hands, but they can stir things. They can mix things. They can get things out of the refrigerator. They can put things away for you. You can ask them to measure things depending on how old they are. Here's a cup. Mommy wants you or daddy wants you to take a cup and measure out one cup and put it in a bowl for me. Don't get me wrong. It takes longer to get them to do that. But since you're going to be making foods that aren't the usual food, sometimes the Mm -hmm. child helping you cook might make them more inclined to eat it. Whereas opposed to if you just put something different in front of them, they might be screaming, I want my whatever chicken nuggets, <laughs> you know, and right. you have chicken nuggets in the house. So having the child um, cut things into shapes sometimes helps a lot. Um, they can try to roll things. They can try to decorate things. They can press things down. They can put um, batter into little muffin cups or into little bowls and things like that for you. So they can help. 
the thing that you want to um, consider is interesting that even the little children, because they've been putting so much information about washing your hands and being careful and being watching the germs, you you can actually say to your child, we're making this because it's better because it's safer right now. And even little children are understanding that things are being offered for safety and they're a little bit more flexible than they normally would be. I've had a kid come in my office. I had to put the Purell away. I mean, this is right before we made it so that you couldn't have the businesses open. Came in, he took the Purell, and it was like 10 times he pumped it. I was like, all right, give me that back. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, Uh, I wouldn't have cared, but, you know, like, I know I can't get my hands on any myself. (laughs) He's just trying to be extra careful. That's fine. More germs. There's more germs. (laughs) (laughs) It has been really, really interesting. It's been, it's starting to feel like it's been so long that we're all kind of settling in to the fact that this is going to be a lot longer than we thought. And just pausing isn't a solution anymore. It's time to find a way to move forward with as much <laughs> as our usual routines as possible. We are having to look for ways to continue living. At first, I thought it was going to be two weeks. I don't know why. I just wishful thinking. But now I'm seeing this could be until there's a vaccine. So it could be. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's sort of like the twilight zone, you know, like you wake up and what? I mean, I was, I did, I was at a program and I did two presentations in Manhattan at the Javits Center only six weeks ago. And the Javits Center has been a hospital now for more than three weeks. So that means that like two or three weeks after I did two presentations, they are turned into a hospital. And so it's almost like, you know, you wake up and it's a sci-fi movie. And yeah, we, we have people, different people have stamped different things in their heads about what they think to expect from this. But the truth of the matter is that we don't know what to expect. And we don't want to live in fear, okay? We, but we don't want to be careless we don't want other people to be careless, but then we want to be able to move forward with life because we don't know how long it's going to take for a vaccine to come out. And we don't know um, if this virus is going to mutate or what the situation is going to be a few months from now and even next year or the next few years. And so we need to find ways to be more flexible, to be less fearful, but careful at the same time, to find other ways of socially engaging with individuals and find better ways of structuring our time so that we don't get stuck at home tied to our desk with children screaming and running and throwing things behind us. I mean, normally I would have gone, I was going to go to the office even just to do this, this program. You know, my office has a nice background if we were going to do it video wise and my office in my house, you know, I mean to clean it out for the last 10 years. (laughs) And and I'm like, you know what, I'm still going to try to do that here. And you know, it's like, it's something people are different. You see them on the newscasters with the green screen behind them, or, you know, they fix the little flowers and things behind them when they're doing a video. Um, People are trying to make it work. And it takes a long time to learn new habits. And the older you are, the longer you've been doing things a certain way. And so it makes it more difficult for you to be able to adapt. So I would say right now, even though, you know, you might be feeling like you're 12 hours in front of the screen, if you had been doing this for six months, you probably would have found methods around it. You would have made sure you took breaks. You might have walked outside your house and took a walk in the middle of the afternoon. You might do a meditative or stress-releasing or stretching exercise in between. You'd make sure you drank enough water. But right now, you know, because it's not your usual routine, you're not probably doing those things, and it's very burdensome to you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you're let everyone know what part of the country you're in because you're ahead of the rest of us. You're deeper into this experience than some other states. So yeah, so I'm in New York and I my office is in Long Island in Suffolk County in Deer Park. I'm you know, so Deer Park is one of the er- Suffolk County is one of the areas hard hit, as is Nassau County in New York City. And I go from Suffolk County to Nassau County all the time and I go into Manhattan on a regular basis to do work. And so here, you know, the, the level, the amount of people that have this virus and the amount of people that have been um, becoming very ill from it is greater. I think it's half, we have half of the entire country problems here that the rest of the country has. And I was, I remember when I was talking to some people in other States, you know, before it really hit them, they were being very lax. And I was like, listen, okay, you may not get hit as hard because the climate's different and there's different demographics, but it hasn't hit there yet. You need to be careful. And somebody was telling me that there was uh, like, I mean, just I'm talking about like maybe like two and a half weeks ago in Florida, not far from Miami, Miami was hit. They had a pool party like at the complex. I mean, a big pool party. And I remember, and I have a place down in Florida and people were, um, you know, complaining that they were closing the pool and they had to be socially distanced. And then I, I, and they were getting really kind of nasty and they're like back and forth. And I I put it, I chimed in and I said, look, I said, it's not just being distanced in the pool. It's the people that are sitting on the pool furniture outside and they're touching the handles on the ladders. They're touching the gates when they're coming in and out. And there's a lot of older people there. And, you know, the, the, the virus is very catchy and we don't know, you know, right now, the best ways to protect other than to not touch things, to wash your hands properly, to wear the mask and things. And I don't see you wearing a mask in the pool. <laughs> right. And I don't see how you could not touch your face at the pool. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you know, and it's like, like, so like I get, listen, I'm getting in the pool and there's like steps and things. I'm going to hold on to the handrail. Well, everybody's holding on the handrail. The handrail is not wet. You know, so that means everybody touched it. So like, what if I touch the hand well when I'm coming out, then I wipe my face because I'm wet or whatever. Now I have possibly the virus on me. Now, do I want to be in Florida and not be able to go in a pool? No. But, you know, if it's a if it's a community pool, you have no control. It's not the same as it being your pool. I mean, you're a little safer at the beach if you socially distance. I mean, the salt water is probably fine if you keep away from other people. But people on the beach didn't seem to be socially distancing themselves. And so there are people that are let's just say less careful that are making it more difficult for other people that want to do these other things to feel safe because they're not. I mean, I remember I was buying, I actually, I've been very careful about going to the store. I don't go that much. And I went to the store to buy groceries and I had a, a lot of things in my cart. And even though they're not supposed to price, price gouge, you know, I bought, let's just say it cost me twice as much to buy the same amount of normal things. Mm. And, you know, I didn't pay it. And I was paying by my credit card because I don't want to handle the cash change. Okay. I usually pay by cash, but I didn't want somebody to hand me cash. And I had my mask and I had my gloves and I was going to sanitize my credit card when I got back out of the store. And somebody, you know, like behind me, like they walked all the way up to the credit card machine and was standing there. And I had to go back there and I looked at him and I said, I still have to pay. And he didn't move. And I said, again, I still have to pay. And then he backed up the six feet. Like there was no reason for him to come right on top of me until I paid. Right. And and I'm trying to socially distance and he did not have gloves on. And, you know, so, you know, you're feeling uncomfortable sometimes because other people 
are not necessarily, you know, doing what they need to do. And then you feel like you're putting yourself in a situation. And I'm not 20 years old and most younger people are seeming to get through this. Okay. Not all of them, but I'm like 61 years old, you know, like I want to be a little bit extra careful, even though I would be extra careful. Anyhow, I don't want to give it to an older person. I don't want to give it to anybody else. I don't want to be spreading this virus around, even if I wasn't susceptible to it. Right. Right. It's been really difficult realizing how, weak a lot of people's understanding of sciences and not you don't need to have an in-depth understanding but if you even had let's say a fifth grade level understanding of how a virus can spread it would be easier to follow these rules and there's a lot of things or guidelines there's a lot of things that you are taught in elementary school that you forget by the time you know you're in college so i used to it used to be funny to watch that show. Are you as smart as a fifth grader and Mm -hmm. to see how much the kids actually cover and how many subjects we've all studied, but kind of forgotten the details of, but it is insane to me to find out how poorly people have been washing their hands, how few people know what their mucous membranes are and that you shouldn't be touching them all day. And then when I think about it, I I just wonder how long it'll be before I feel comfortable shaking hands or giving hugs at meetings like we all used to do so freely. It'll be a while. I, I don't even know that we'll ever get back to that point. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, I as you know, I'm a um, professional member of the National Speakers Association, and a lot of the people that are co-members there, you know, their entire living is just speaking. I mean, I do a lot of speaking, but I do a lot of consulting and other things as well. And, you know, all the meetings are closing up, weddings are closing up, venues are closing up, association meetings are closing up. I'm supposed to speak at the, at a diabetes conference in, in Georgia in August. And, you know, they still don't know if that conference is going to go on. And if it goes on, am I going to take a plane to Georgia? Am I going to drive to Georgia? Um, How close are people going to be to each other? You know, am I supposed to wear a mask when I give my presentation, if we're doing it live? I mean, you know, there's, you know, what's going to happen with all these association meetings, weddings, programs, hotels, hotel venues, bars, you know, restaurants where people sit close together. I don't know how, you know, comfortable. There are people that that no matter what the risk are going to still do whatever they want to do. But there's a lot of people, this is the reinstillment of consumer confidence. Even if it becomes safe and even if we have a vaccine, are people going to go back exactly the people that are being careful to the way they were before. And the truth is we don't know. And um, one of my um, colleague friends, Barbara Barron does a lot with family meals. I mean, right now, you know, before people weren't really, they wanted to do that, but they weren't leaning in that direction. I'd say people are more going to be leaning toward family meals and even social distancing at family events in the future for a long period of time. Yeah. That'll be very interesting to see. It's good to hear from someone who is in the New York area who's still doing well. It things look pretty grim on the news, but of course, you know, good news is boring to the human mind. That's why we always focus on the scarier things. It's more captivating. So it's just good to hear that stores are doing what they can and sometimes you're managing. 
Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, when I went to the supermarket a number of times early on, you know, they just had sheets over the entire meat, entire dairy, entire paper and cleaning goods section. There's been no paper towels or cleaning goods this whole time. Uh. So, so it's not like, you know, I mean, there were many times I went into the supermarket. I mean, they didn't even have hot dogs, you know, like the only meat they had was bacon. You know, there was no milk. There was no, you know, it wasn't there. It wasn't even, there was nothing there. It was like, it was almost like when you watch one of these movies, you know, where there was somebody that lived through something and they went like scavenging through a store and they found one can on the yes. shelf. Yes. That's what it looked like. So it was quite scary, but you know, you try to live in whatever environment you're in and this is the environment that we're in. I mean, and a lot of States don't even want us. New York is moving over there right now. So, so we're here. And so we try to do the best we can with what we have available to us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so since you've transitioned to working online a lot, are you creating more content or are you on social media more? So I have been interviewed quite a bit and doing programs like that um, in the past few um, weeks on a lot of people. I mean, I would say that like maybe four times as much as normal. As far as patients, I mean, half of the patients, maybe maybe 30 to 40% of the patients I'm doing over the telephone, most people are not comfortable trying to learn a new social media platform. So a lot of people are waiting for this to be over. It's certainly impacting the way you work and what the future is going to look like. I can tell you, like, I normally get like at least 20 or 20 some odd calls every day at my office. As far as people just calling about information, et cetera, I think I might have gotten three calls the entire week for the last four weeks. So people are, mm-hmm. are a little bit living in fear here that way. And so I'm just trying other things that I need to work on during that period and doing the, the patient counseling the way that it works the best for me with them at this point in time. I am going to probably keep um, doing the counseling remotely even a month past when they open everything up just for mine and everybody else's safety concerns. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. When it comes to people who are managing diabetes and other illness, diabetes really stands out more than anything else as a food-related illness that it's it's urgent that you be compliant. How are people with diabetes managing with certain items not being available in stores? So I have two extremes that are happening, nothing in the middle. So I have people that are just eating so much healthier and exercising, regularly walking and doing things on that level. And I have other people that have gone to the dark side. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, just, um, they're baking out cupcakes and cakes and cookies in their house, and they're relying upon that for food. And they're not exercising at all, and they're not drinking their water. So I have both different levels that I'm working with. So when I'm talking to people on the phone, I'm finding that, the people that are going to the dark side, we're trying to get them on some sort of routine and yeah. make sure they take their medis- medications. Like, cause a lot of times the pharmacies now are delivering medications, but you do need to sometimes order in advance. And most, a lot of people used to wait until the last minute to refill their prescriptions and such. That was right. their usual routine. So I'm trying to encourage people to follow up with their doctors, the, their regular doctors and their endocrinologists 
via telehealth. I'm encouraging them to order their medications in advance. I'm pushing them to make sure they have enough fluids. And then we're trying to just incorporate the small frequent meals. So we, I ask them what they're doing and I try to throw in something. So if I find that, you know, well, they have a loaf of bread all day, say, what else do you have in the house? Do you have any tuna fish downstairs? Do you have any canned salmon downstairs? Do you have any frozen chicken in the freezer? Do you have any beans in the cabinet? I try to go through things that they have in their house or things that they're able to get and tell them how they can incorporate it so that they can have some balance. The people that are struggling finding balance, were they eating out of a stress response? What was going on? You got a triple play. You got one, I'm eating what they have. Two, they're bored and stressed, which is a big one. And three, when they eat these other types of foods, even though they're not healthy foods, it makes them feel mentally, emotionally better. So some people go for sweet, some people go for salty, but they generally will overdo something because they're waiting for their brain. I call it the one more jelly bean effect. And is that you eat one and your brain says, this feels good when I eat this, but you still don't feel good because you're stressed about something else. So you Mm. keep eating them and you keep eating them because you're waiting to feel good because your brain says to you, well, you don't feel good yet, but cookies make you feel good. Eat cookies. And no matter how many cookies you eat, you're never going to feel good. Matter of fact, you'll eat until you're sick because even though your brain's telling you cookies make me feel good, the feel good that you get from a cookie isn't going to resolve the feeling that you're having right now during the stressful time. That's a really good explanation. You mentioned hydration too. Why is it more dangerous for a diabetic to be dehydrated than someone who does not have diabetes? So in general speaking, if your blood sugars are high, in order for you to, your body tries to do things to get them down. And one of the things it does is that you may, you may urinate a lot more. Your body's trying to purge out the sugar, but it doesn't. And so you become more dehydrated just by having high blood sugars in general. But if you take a look at something, and I call this my lemonade theory, if you make lemonade and you put too much sugar in it, what do you do to make it less sweet? Add water. Exactly. So what is your blood mostly made of? Water. So if you have a lot of sugar in your blood and you're dehydrated, what becomes more concentrated? Oh, sugar. And guess what else happens when your blood's more concentrated? Your heart has to work harder because it's pumping thicker, sludgy blood. Okay, so now your heart's working harder. You have more sugar in your blood. And your lungs, which is one of the mucous membranes, which you mentioned earlier, is a mucousy area. What do your lungs need? Your lungs need fluid. So if you're dehydrated, your lungs are working harder your heart is working harder, your kidneys are working harder, you're trying to pee out the sugar. So dehydration can lead to high blood sugars, your heart and your lungs working harder and your kidneys working harder. Not a good thing for somebody with diabetes and definitely not a good thing if you get the flu or COVID virus. Right. That's an excellent explanation. I don't think anyone's ever made it that clear. That's a good visual. And for the people who have something that isn't as urgent, I mean, it's still important to be compliant, but if you have celiac disease, the repercussions for not being compliant aren't as immediate as it is with diabetes. With the color, it's oh, really? Yeah, because some people that have celiac disease, as little as a crumb, will get violently ill. Well, you mm. don't want to, if you get violently ill, do you want to go to the hospital right now? Absolutely you know? not. Yeah. So, so some people with celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. And so autoimmune diseases right now, you want to, you want to improve your immune system while you're trying to prevent getting some sort of a um, virus or a flu. You don't want to compromise your immune system and you certainly don't want to make yourself ill by taking in something that's going to make you ill in one way or another. And so the availability of gluten-free foods may not be the same as it would normally be. A matter of fact, I'm doing, we're going to try to do 
a, a, a Zoom call with people. I'm a chair of a gluten intolerance group to try to encourage people about things you could do at home. And so like things that I mentioned before that people might not use like beans or even corn, like if you had corn, like some sort of a dried corn, corn meal or masa or something, we could make like patties and things and things that people might not normally do. I can teach them how to make things instead of, okay, because you're not going to be able to maybe go to the store and buy um, in any place you go, your gluten-free bread or your gluten-free muffins and your gluten-free pizza as readily available. And so if you can't get what you normally use um, and you, and you're not getting fresh and frozen produce as easily as you normally do, what are you going to have instead of? There's lots of things you can do. I mean, I made something, I made one of my Spanish patients tell me about how to make arepas. And it's basically, Mm. it's a corn, you know, and it's basically, you just kind of like mix it with water and a little bit of salt or lime and you, it gets like a paste and you, you cook it like a patty and then you could stuff it with things. And so I happen to have that kind of corn uh, masa in my freezer that I had purchased when my patient told me about it. And I made them yesterday, you see. And how did they turn out? They were good. <laughs> oh, right. They were good. Really good. And last week, my husband, we were talking about ravioli and I made hot ravioli from scratch. Now, most people, I'm not going to make them do something like that. But what I'm saying is the opportunities and the resources that a person needs to make use of is going to change based on what's available today. You know, for the people that are gluten-free, for people that are diabetic, for people that have heart disease, you know, for people on low sodium diets. I mean, a lot of people that have um, kidney disease or have really high blood pressure, they're going out and buying a lot of cans. Some people are buying a lot of canned goods because the frozen and fresh isn't available. And that's loaded with salt, you know, 2,000 milligrams of sodium in one can. You know, what do we do if you're trying to lower the amount of salt in something for blood pressure and yet you only have canned items? If you bought canned soup, maybe we take one can of soup, we put one can of water in with it, and then we throw in other flavorful items into that to make it taste good. So there's things that you need to, to, you know, like, so you might not say to yourself, if I put a can of water in with my soup, it's going to taste too watery. But, you know, hey, you know what, maybe you could throw in like a whole thing of frozen vegetables in with that can of soup. Maybe you could saute some onions and garlic before you put in the can of soup with the can of water. You know, so we could make it so we stretch it so we diluted the, the sodium and then it's not, as high, it's not as high in salt for those individuals. Oh, that's a really good idea. I've definitely advised people before to rinse canned vegetables if they weren't able to get the low sodium or the sodium free option. It's difficult because we all, you know, we all have different needs and, and and emotional needs always seem to outweigh the real needs. Like sometimes our bodies are like on autopilot and Mm -hmm. we have, even if it goes against what we think we should do, we usually, we usually succumb to our primal programming. And so it takes an effort to include some things that make it a better choice for them. Yeah. Yeah. But these tips are going to be really, really helpful. I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any words of wisdom for people? Like you said, the emotional needs tend to need to be satisfied first, or they continue to make it difficult for us to satisfy all of our other needs. What do you tell people who have the tools they need and just are struggling so much with the stress, they don't think they can do it? So pick one or two small things. And let's just stay with that for right now. For example, let's say you, you're not doing anything. You know, you're only eating cookies. You're not exercising. You're squirreled up in your house and you're fighting with your husband. <laughs> I'm just, you know, whatever. Everything's going, you're making each other crazy. Pick something small. So like if you're not drinking a lot of water, like make that your thing that you're going to work on. 
first. If your body's starting to feel like you have such bad arthritis because you're not moving, do some stretching and drink water. That would be the thing. If you're only eating cookies, let's try to make it at least one meal isn't cookies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So don't don't try to do everything at once because when you try to do everything at once, it's like trying to clean out this this office of mine that I've been waiting to do for 10 years. You know, like I'm better off starting with a drawer. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, if you do one thing at a time, you know, by the time you finished, you end up with a cleaned office. I love that. That's perfect. These are great visuals. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much too. And I hope we help some of the listeners today. All right, everyone. Thank you for being here. If there are any topics you'd like to hear covered, please reach out to me. I'm at School Nutrition RD on Instagram and Facebook and Dahlia Kinsey on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time there. Have you subscribed to the mailing list yet? You don't have to lift a finger to make sure new episodes are delivered straight to your inbox. It's totally free and you can find the link to join the mailing list on my website, www.schoolnutritionrd.com. Okay, see you next week.